On May 23rd, 2020, I had a birthday. I was turning 45 years old. And that was sort of a weird one for me. You know, that's like the entryway into middle age and gets you thinking about what you've done in your life and things you want to do and bucket lists and all that good stuff. So I decided rather than just have a party or do your typical birthday stuff that I really wanted to go on a fishing trip with some of my buddies and go to the Dry Tortugas, which is a group of islands about 70 miles west of Key West. And they're known for some really good bottom fishing. And I live in Florida, but I had never fished that part of the world. So I started to put a trip together. And then 2020 happened and everything went sideways. Life changed. I was still able to squeeze the trip in safely. And I think with everything that was going on in the world, getting away was even more needed than when I actually started planning the trip and getting to forget about all of the news and the numbers that we were hearing about on a regular basis and just enjoy some fresh air and a lot of laughs and some really good fishing. After the trip, as I recollected my thoughts, I sat down and penned a story about it for Power and Motor Yacht. And it seemed to resonate with a lot of folks. And I got a really good amount of positive feedback, which made me feel great about kind of becoming an old fart. <laughs> so here's the story. I hope you enjoy it. Sneaking off never felt so good. A fishing trip with no cell service and no headlines was just what the doctor ordered by Charlie Levine. The sun had laid down and gone to bed hours ago and a sea of oranges and yellows spread across the sky. Constellations and planets winked at us from above as the Gulf of Mexico flattened out in front of us like a slick black puddle. Classic rock tunes that I knew every word to rang out of a head-high speaker. My best friend of 15 years stood next to me, cracking jokes and talking smack. And every time my bait hit the bottom, it got bit. Surely this must be what heaven feels like, especially after being stuck at home for weeks on end with dreams of adventure flooding my thoughts. But this was no dream. This was real time and I had just flipped another keeper over the rail. Sometime last fall, I had decided that I needed to do something special for my 45th birthday. I'd always wanted to fish the prolific waters surrounding the Dry Tortugas, a small group of islands about 70 miles west of Key West. The Tortugas don't see much in the way of boat traffic, and the fishing, especially the bottom fishing, is legendary. Figured 2020 was the year to make it happen, and I went about putting a trip together to celebrate my catapult into middle age. I knew of a boat in Key West that fished the Tortugas, but getting there would entail a 10-hour car ride and surely an overnight before departure, followed by a two- or three-day trip on the boat and the ensuing drive home. I didn't have that kind of time. At a fisheries meeting last November, I sat next to one of the captains who works at Sea Trek Fishing Charters, an operation in Fort Myers Beach, Florida, 
that take small groups of anglers south toward the Tortugas on multi-day trips aboard a 65-foot headboat. He told me when to go, what to bring, and what to expect. We reserved our space for a June 30th to July 2nd trip, paid an extra 10 bucks a head to pick our bunks, and let the anticipation build over the next several months. If you don't know the term headboat, it's probably not what you're picturing. Some folks also call these fishing boats party boats, and that does not paint an accurate picture either. Any partying on these boats entails cheap canned beer, day-old sandwiches, and most likely a few seasick patrons chumming over the rail. The boats themselves are usually wide aluminum jobs with plenty of room on the side decks for fishing. They chug rather than cruise, and the captain's plotter is chock-a-block full of coveted fishing spots. I grew up fishing on headboats and have fond memories of running out to the codfish grounds on the Hellcat in the thick of the New England winter. The boat hailed from Groton, Connecticut, and it sported heated rails, running exhaust through the hollow piping to keep your hands and gear from freezing up and sticking to the cold metal. The vessel reeked of stale cigarette smoke, greasy egg sandwiches, and cut squid. I know it sounds kind of miserable, but I loved it. The camaraderie among fishermen, the different walks of life taking their spot on the rail, but most of all, the big cod that the boat put you on back in those days. That was the reward for waking early and fishing in all manner of nasty weather. Headboats certainly aren't for everyone. They're short on frills, but if you want to spend some quality time with old friends and family or carve out a memory too, complete with some good stories and some bad ones too, headboats are a worthy platform to pursue. Fishing a headboat with a group of buddies is akin to sitting in a duck blind or camping off the grid. In the case of this dry tortugas trip, there'd be no cell signal, no news headlines, and zero interruptions. To me, that was a big part of the appeal, a chance to unplug, have some laughs, and fill a cooler with some fresh fillets. Then the pandemic hit. Life shut down. Charters were canceled. You know the story. The fishing trip was certainly not my top priority, but I secretly hoped that we could still pull it off, albeit safely. As Florida began reopening, the Sea Trek folks assured us that they were taking extra precaution and that the boat would sail. I was incredibly grateful as the trip was more needed now than ever. We met the boat at 8 a.m., paid our balance, got our temperatures checked, and began the loading process. First tackle, then coolers, then bags, and personal belongings. We threw lines at 10 a.m., and after motoring past the entrance of the channel, the crew began their very thorough safety briefing. The boat was cleaner than any headboat I'd been on. New countertops in the galley, fresh paint on the walls, and a hint of disinfectant in the air. We were told to wear masks in the cabin at all times and to drink lots of water and shown where to find the life jackets in case of an emergency. I've never seen the Gulf of Mexico so flat. The forecast called for zero to two foot seas and light winds, and it held true. I was eternally grateful for that. The top heavy sea trek is known to bury the bow in big seas, sending coolers sliding to the stern and upchuckers to the rail. There'd be none of that on this voyage. After our debriefing, my buddies and I found a shady spot to enjoy the 10-hour steam to the fishing grounds. 
The captain had his sights on some patches of live bottom more than 100 miles offshore. Beers were cracked, as were jokes, and before too long, my sides hurt from laughing, a feeling I hadn't experienced in several weeks. As we chugged along, the deckhands, two 30-something guys, one named Robbie and the other named Callum, who also answered to Cole or Talum or anything close to his South African name. They filled the bait buckets with squid strips and cut bait. They also went through everyone's tackle, tying on top shots of mono or advising a change in weight or hook size. Then they set a diving plug out over the stern on a trolling outfit. The boat travels at an ideal speed for Wahoo, a healthy 10 knots. Massive schools of flying fish skittered across the glassy surface. Dolphin played in the wake. The crew caught a nice kingfish on the plug and followed that with a beefy 50-pound Wahoo. I immediately regretted not bringing a trolling rod. Around dark, we made it to our first fishing spot. With only 18 anglers on the boat, there was ample space to put some distance between ourselves, and the company rotates out the prime spots on the stern so everyone gets some time in the hot seat. The anchor went down, followed by the baits. After 15 minutes or so with little to no action, my buddies began to doubt the captain's prowess. Well, you can always catch a buzz, I said, digging a cold one out of the cooler. The next stop, and the one after that, and the one after that, all told a much different story. Lines stayed tight. Fish came up from the bottom, and photos were snapped. That first night, my buddies and I had the stern. Rob and his 14-year-old son, Aiden, were constantly doubled up, laughing, sweating, and hugging. Steve and I hooked one yellowtail snapper after another, and my other buddy Matt landed a real trophy yellowtail, the biggest I've ever seen at nearly six pounds, what we Floridians call a flag, because of the bright yellow stripes that extend down its flanks. They're beautiful and fun to catch. We also got to know some of our neighbors on the boat. The mates kept referring to one older gent who never left the port side as Uncle John, and I asked him why. I've been fishing this boat for 30 years, he said. I've watched these guys grow up. Turns out John had quite the interesting backstory. Now in his late 70s, he was a songwriter and a musician in a doo-wop band back in the early 60s. He had met Martin Luther King Jr., and he told us some riveting tales of traveling through the segregated South with his mostly African-American bandmates. Also aboard was a truck driver named Tom, a chiropractor and his brother, and a young serviceman out for a few laughs between deployments with his father and uncle, who sell roofing supplies. Everyone was friendly and grateful to be on good fishing. As the night wore on, my arms grew sore, my hands stunk, and my cheeks hurt from smiling. When the mates told us it was time to rotate out of the stern, I asked, what time is it? He glanced at his watch and said, take a guess. I had no clue. Midnight, I said. It's 4.30 in the morning. I went inside to make a cup of coffee. I didn't want to stop fishing. The sun came up and the mutton snapper began to bite. Nice fish, too. The relief captain, who's also a rep for accurate fishing reels, hooked into a whopper that weighed 20 pounds. The world record mutton was caught in these same waters, and it didn't weigh much more. We also found a large school of blackfin tuna, and the anglers in the bow blasted casting jigs to hook up. At some point, I began to slip fishing-wise. 
guys next to me were hooking up on the same exact bait that I was using, but I couldn't catch a cold. I hardly cared, but I decided to hit the rack for a couple hours. I couldn't tell you what time it was when someone woke me up with claims of grouper and red snapper, but I flew out of the berth into the 100-degree heat. Fishing was still hot, and I hooked up on my second drop. But the barracudas and the sharks had found us. My catch went bye-bye in a very National Geographic-esque explosion next to the boat. We kept fishing for another few hours, picking away at a bevy of different species. I was still in the same clothes I had walked on the boat wearing. My legs were covered in sweat and sunblock, fish scales, and blood. My shirt was beyond ripe. Steve was fishing next to me, and I could tell he was fading. After a shark bit him off, he whispered that he was going to go take a shower. The boat holds a thousand gallons of water, so each person is allowed only one shower. You don't want to waste that ticket, and Steve was the first man to break the seal. I kept fishing, but when Steve returned from the cabin donning fresh clothes and smelling of Irish spring, I asked him how the shower was. Absolutely perfect, he said. Good pressure. Hot water. I decided to go for it. The head was nothing pretty. A toilet, about the ideal size for a toddler, sat in a corner, just an arm's reach from a fiberglass shower stall. But man, that shower felt good. It woke me up, took me out of my fish focus, and made me human again. As I went back out on deck in fresh duds with combed hair, the captain made the call to reel up the lines and get ready for the long steam home. I was happy with my decision as all the guys jockeyed for their spot in the shower lineup. The sun went down again, and we warmed up some London broil, chicken wings, and buttered noodles in the microwave. We ate on paper plates using coolers as tables. The food tasted heavenly. The beers went down, the ball busting began again, and at 3 a.m., we were back at the dock. I haven't felt that exhausted, yet recharged, in a long, long time. It's funny what a good trip will do for the psyche.